Happy Friday, and thanks for making it the whole week with us here on the uh, Hitchcock Minute, a show where each and every week teams of Movies by Minutes podcasters get together and talk about one of the greatest Alfred Hitchcock films ever made, the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock-directed feature, North by Northwest. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TV Dads, the Airport Minute, the uh, Apollo 13 Minute, and the Rocketeer Minute. And I am Hal Bryan, primarily just of the Rocketeer Minute, uh, also the airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, but a a semi-regular guest on some of the other minutes here and there. Yes, a a gadfly of uh, of knowledge on... uh, is the gadfly a right word? I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up later. It sounds yes. good. It um, sounds good to me. <laughs> it tells well. Um, yes. But we're we're talking. We're still in the middle of an of airplanes here. So uh, definitely, uh, uh, Roger O. Thornhill outsmarting uh, the man in the N3N uh, by ducking into a cornfield. Right, and that was such a kick getting to talk to uh, Michael, the current owner of that airplane. It's always, it's always interesting. Somehow. Um, I, I think airplanes tend to be easier to track down than cars uh, because we can so easily search registration databases and things like that. So it's fun not only to talk to somebody who knows something about that type of airplane, but, you know, sitting in his hangar is the actual airplane that we see on screen most of the time. Although in this minute, there's a bit of a switcheroo. Yeah, and well, and it's, you know, it, it, with Michael, it's it's like with most other people who own historic aircraft, uh, it, they're easy to talk to because you know that they love uh, the plane that's in their care uh, through time. Right. And uh, he de- definitely, definitely loves that plane as, as we all do. What a, what a great way of, uh, of expressing your love for aviation by, <laughs> by repairing a, a, you know, a historical uh, artifact like that. Exactly. Ah, wow. But yeah, we're, we're, we're back here in the cornfield and uh, Roger's thinking uh, it's great news, but then he notices that, uh, the N3N's coming in for another pass. And now when we're watching this this cover, we're, we did talk about there's a switcheroo later on, but that's, right. still, the, that's still the N3N. Uh, yeah, it's still the N3N that's coming in and actually uh, actually you know dusting, or whether you're dusting, it's, it's a, or maybe some kind of just show smoke. But, you know, it sure does look like it's coming out of the hopper right behind the wheels. Uh, whereas yeah, a lot uh, of times in, in movies now when you see somebody – you know, an old Stearman allegedly sort of crop dusting. If you look closely, it's really just coming from the exhaust. It's just typical air show smoke. But yeah, in th- this case, this looks like they're definitely coming from the hop. Their path is too wide for it to be anything else. Yeah. And what is that like? I mean, is it just a pipe? Or how, how, I've, I've never been up close to a, to a crop duster. I don't know. What, what, you know it, what's the... it varies a lot. But in many cases, it's just a, um, there's just a big tank that's in the... Uh, you know, where the front seat used to be in this airplane and, and is again now, of course, as Michael had told us. It's just a tank and there's just a, uh, just a, like a feeder opening at the bottom. And then sometimes there's a, sometimes there's a spreader. I know, um, and again, I'm no expert on, on uh, aerial application, but on, on some airplanes, uh, when you're doing something that's more of a liquid, this is uh, what he's dropping here, which I know you wanted to talk about is powder. When it's more of a liquid, you'll actually see something that's more like a, Oh, more like a little sprinkler system or a sprayer, and you'll have bars that go out the full length of both wings, and and things will they'll come from a tank, but then get sprayed out of several nozzles under the wings. In this case, it's probably not that much more complicated than uh, it's just a tank with a with a gate at the bottom, and you pull the lever, and it opens, and stuff falls out. Hmm. Wow, it, it's uh, yeah, it, it's something that I've never really thought. I mean, I've seen I've seen crop dusters in action, but I've never really thought about the you know the workings, the inner workings of it, and it's just it's an amazing, 
an amazing technology that you'd think that they would have to come up with some way of, you know, based on the speed of the aircraft and the altitude that you're dropping it from, that you come in with a level um, distribution area. So there must be a lot of physics involved. in Right. And I don't know if uh, it, it doesn't strike me as being uh, as being particularly accurate that he's starting to release uh, his his payload or payload i guess for want of a better term as early as he does but it, it makes for better you know it makes for better cinematography to see to see the stuff starting to come out you know when he's still you know a couple hundred feet away or whatever that distance is yeah. it's also cool because it gives us a look uh, if you watch the trail of the applicant as it's going behind him um you see it starting to curl and kind of swirl around as you see and those are the yeah those vortices, vortices. coming off yeah. the wings so yeah, that's that's what causes wake turbulence uh, when you're flying oh. <laughs> a small airplane behind a big one. You want to you want to stay out of those. Wow. Well, one of the uh, the back the back story on this where there were supposedly going to be more scenes, but uh, Hitchcock cut them out because it didn't help tell the story. The guy flying the plane or at least the the tail gunner, if uh, if there was one or front gunner. Uh, was uh, one of the one of the henchmen that we'd seen earlier in the movie, and he had like hired the plane, and apparently you can you can hire crop dusters to do whatever you want <laughs> out in Indiana somewhere. Well, and, this is uh, what 1958, something like yeah. that. So, yeah. Well, they, they were they were later overtaken by uh, the notoriously evil uh, helicopter pilots that uh, apparently uh, work for henchmen all over the world. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, beginning. Well, maybe not beginning, but uh, certainly famously in uh, From Russia with Love. Yes. Uh, that whole that whole scene with uh, Connery running in a similar suit, a similar colored yeah. suit to what Cary Grant is wearing. And he's got his little briefcase with his, if I remember right, he's got his AR-7 rifle in it. And he's getting chased by the little Hiller helicopters. It's very, very reminiscent. Very, it seems like yeah. it has to have been a nod to this scene. Yeah, and here, you know, here Car- Cary Grant, without even the, the benefit of a trilby, is hiding in the, hiding in the bushes. Yes, exactly. Um, one of the things I am not a farmer, but I do I do read a lot of Wikipedia. So I, I <laughs> well then I've, you, you I've, practically have your doctorate. Yeah, I might as well just get by the overalls right now and right. get out there in the field. But uh, from what I'm understanding, it, this is um, sometime in September or October for the purposes of the film. And uh, I was wondering why there were stands of corn out in the middle of nowhere, and what what would they be doing there when everything else had been harvested? And uh, from what I've been reading about in the, the standard corn harvesting um, routine of a year, uh, you do leave uh, quite a bit of uh, corn out in the fields uh, after you've harvested your uh, feet, your eating corn, your silage. And uh, this is mostly used for feed corn. So what you have to do is just let it dry out. And rather than having to pay to put it in an oven somewhere and, and you know, dehydrate it, uh, you just leave it stand in the sun and it'll dry out on its own. And then toward the end of September or October, you uh, you go out and harvest the whole thing, and you've got you've got your dry feed corn ready to roll, um, it, which is also why you have it as a symbol of a lot of uh, Halloween uh, porch decorations and things. That would be the harvest time for uh, for feed corn, uh, and what would make sense in the uh, the crop dusting time of the year is this is when you lay down not uh, pesticide but uh, fertilizer, and the most typical fertilizer being lime. So it's po- quite possible that the crop duster had a full load of lime ready to go, uh, you know, ready to, to dust some fields and, and fertilize them for the next season. So uh, apparently uh, Roger's getting hit with a, a bunch of lime here. Right. And, of course, given that it's the late 50s, there was probably uh, a nice mix of asbestos, uh, oh, mer- yeah. mercury, lead, um, yeah, CV, whatever else whatever, or, yeah. <laughs> whatever else we thought made <laughs> what, sense back there. Probably it's probably loaded with radon for some reason Yeah, <laughs> as well. <laughs> 
Well, it's all that uranium leftover stuff from yes. the mining silage. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so anyway, he's uh, he's ready to go. But and oh. coughing is you know as as is his wont. Um, and you know throughout this whole segment, the whole sort of airplane versus uh, Thornhill section uh, and and truck as well. It's interesting to watch them switch back and forth between uh, you know uh, sort of in camera on set or on location rather and sound t- sound stage stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really really well done. You can still tell uh, some there's there's some you know artificial quality about the close up of Cary Grant in the corn stock getting stuff dumped on him. Um, that that says soundstage, but they really did a nice job, um, and not so much in this minute. But I had read, uh, and maybe you came across this as well, but that uh, for the scenes where he's actually so the previous two minutes uh, or a couple of minutes this week, when he's on the road and we see the airplane behind him, um, you know, it's rear projection, which, but I think is really really good rear projection. But it, what was interesting to me was that the movie was shot overall in 35 millimeter, but they had said they shot the airplane stuff in 70 so that it would look better during the rear projection scenes. Right. High, yeah, higher you, resolution. You, yeah. You get less, less film grain back then, right. back pre-digital. And uh, it's be- it is beautiful. And plus at the time in the fifties and before that uh, audiences had been used to having, uh, you know, uh, rear projection, things like that. So the scenes of, you know, we look back on them and go, Oh, that's a little hokey looking, but that's right. That was kind of the conceit of the time. So they're not, they're not as uh, upset. Yeah, it didn't really take you out of the out of the scene like it might uh, might for us. And and I would venture to guess that overall, I think this is this is some of the best rear projection I think we've ever seen, Um, except until uh, the Mandalorian came along. If anybody has read (laughs) anything about how they're producing that with actual, you know, live video backdrops that are used in camera. It's absolutely mind blowing. It's it's brilliant, and it's filmed in it, it, the the uh, the rear projection is used as like a in like a planetarium setting. It's almost a, a dome shape right. behind them, so they can shoot and and move the camera around and not have to worry about uh, resetting or or matching this matching the frames. Uh, just just glorious looking thing, and it's 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 nice knowing that the technology is still. Uh, you know, evolving with with that type, uh, and you know, thankfully, it makes it makes for great great television. Right. Um, we are uh, one of the other, uh, just from a film uh, sense in here. We are at the peak of. Uh, I talked about this when we first came in on the week, that uh, we go from an omniscient view, uh, where we're watching the bus pull up uh, at the lonely stop on Prairie, uh, the Prairie Crossing. And then we slowly get closer and closer and become very involved with Roger Thornhill. And uh, this is probably where we're at our closest. I mean, we're just about nose to nose with him right. right down to the right down to the point where he looks out and sees the truck driving down the highway. And we are we are Roger Thornhill at that point with a nice frame of uh, corn uh, stalks on either side of us. And that that acts as a uh, as a matching scene when the with the corn standing to the right of the right of the scene as we as he jumps out toward the road. So uh, this is where we we move back from being we're we're going back and forth between being subjective and uh, objective. Right. What is fascinating too that Freightliner grill that comes in yeah. fills completely fills the frame. I mean, it expands beyond the frame. So at that point, we are Roger, and then for just a moment, we become the truck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as we we zoom right into Cary <laughs> Grant's face, as you said absolutely nose to nose, and him putting his hands up uh, and and recoiling like that. It's, uh, you know, I, th- I think if this were shot today, we wouldn't have that shot of, we wouldn't turn around and look at Cary Grant again. We'd see the truck coming and then we'd cut to, you know, somehow cut to him falling 
you know, a, a more objective sort of third person view. So it's really interesting to, to, I, maybe I'm reading way too much into this, but for just a, a brief instant there, like when I see him looking, you know, super tight close up, his hands are up, we're, we're right up his nose, and, you know, then the hands come into frame. It, it's like we're a little bit responsible. Yeah. Like yeah, for just it, a moment, it, we're the bad guy. You know, he's not our proxy anymore. We're running him down. And then, oh my gosh. And, and he, uh, you know, as you were saying, this is not the way we film it today, except the speed of the editing here. It, 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 if you look, if you watch it, it's only a matter of like five or 10 frames. We're looking at half second cuts. These are just oh, sure. little strips. And it's just enough to, to get us to feel like, you know, if, if it feels very, a very modern approach, at least from the cutting uh, side of it. Um, uh, George Tomasini, who was the, uh, the editor here, uh, was very great at being experimental in these, in this, this look. I mean, and he, he had a long career with, um, with Alfred Hitchcock, so Hitchcock relied on him for getting, and, and we'll, we see this in, in things like The Birds and in Psycho. He created the shower scene and he created all the, the attacks by the birds and stuff. Oh, so right. that, that total feeling, it, you know, it, it borders on paranoia. Like, he, like you're out of control in the scene. It's like, what's happening? What? And it, the way that something, when you're in an accident, time kind of slows down, but so many things are happening at once. He really imparts that feeling to you as you're watching it. And, you know, as you said, that has a more modern feel to it so something that we've sort of come to expect and we're more used to and we're used to you know crazy good visual effects and you know super super polished edits and things but uh you know at the time this movie came out i mean you must have had uh you must have had some really really anxious worked up people sitting in the audience uh you know really really getting sort of beat up by this experience yeah yeah and you know and it only continued i mean the, the very next year was psycho so you you know it it's the audience better get used to the idea because this is going to happen a lot more in their right. in their futures. Um, but yeah, he Tomasini really set the tone here, and uh, you know, gosh, what a great what a great thing. Except, and then and then we end. You know, as as we're coming up toward the end of the minute, we get this fabulous scene of now that is still the N three N right as, that he's making those little S turns. Right. Yeah. So that N three N is coming coming at us. So we're we're sort of under the truck. We're we're Thornhill again. We see the airplane coming, and you know, as I watch that back and forth, um, what I am pretty convinced the pilot of the airplane is doing is so. Let me just track through this here. So he's. He's, uh, he's low over the corn. Uh, his right wing is down a little bit, and he's skidding quite a bit. So he's got his right wing down, and then he's, he's uh, sort of levels that wing, but he's putting in a bunch of right rudder. Yeah, and I yeah, think he, what he's doing is he's doing it so he can see the truck. That's, yeah, I think that so, that makes sense. From a, from a plot point of view, that makes sense, because as, as we were talking with Michael yesterday, you really can't see anything out the front of the plane because right. you've got this honking great engine in front of you. Yeah, it's, um, such a, it's a bulky airplane and that, that attitude, that low altitude in particular. So he's skidding the airplane. And we would do that uh, on landing, too. You know, you're, yeah. um, you, you might land this airplane purposely staying a little bit on the high side so that you could kick the rudder in, swing the nose out of the way, which gives you a little bit of drag and, a, and what we call a slip, but also serves the purpose of letting you double check, hey, is the runway still there? Yep. You know, I'm going to take a peek at it, make sure I'm still lined up. So it looks to me like what he's doing. He's kicking that nose to the right to make sure he's lined up with the truck. And then he comes, you know, sort of back into coordination. And, you know, you can see it in that. I keep saying, well, it's second 57. Well, almost everything in this minute happens in second 57. <laughs> yeah. um, 
that he's probably lined up to sort of zoom up over the top of it. But of course, before he does that, then we make our cut for the crash scene. Yeah, and and the, the crash scene, as, as uh, you've you and I have talked offline, that it looks like the very the crash itself is done with uh, miniatures, right? Um, and beautiful beautiful miniatures though they are. I mean that that, that stunning forced perspective out to the horizon with uh, telephone poles in the distance and all yeah. the Fuller's Earth uh, making a very very reasonable impression of uh, of the ground. Um, and, and you can imagine the modelers working on this scene and uh, you know and just quietly thanking the rest of the production for giving them. A, a relatively easy backdrop to work with where they select yeah. the location. It's like, okay. Uh, well, first of all, two thirds is just sort of pale blue sky, you know, almost white yeah. sky. Then you've got uh, telephone poles, but as you said, that gives us forced perspective. So we define that, you know, not a lot of uh, other complexity. There's the, there's the farm fence and the sign and things, but um, interesting that they, uh, they used. So as I, as I said, I've been back and forth, back and forth through this. So what I see going into the truck, into the miniature of the truck, is a model of a Stearman now, not an N3N anymore, which was an what, interesting... What, what, what would be the, I mean, the defining characteristic? Is it the shape of the tail that's telling biggest you that? Thing is, a couple of things. Biggest thing is the shape of the tail. Um, also, the, uh, the distance between the wings. When you look at the N3N, that upper wing sticks up a lot higher than it does on a Stearman. Okay. So it just, that helps give it that more of an imposing look. The fuselage is bulkier throughout. Um, the landing gear is quite a bit different. Like, I don't even, in the model that goes into the truck, as I scrub back and forth, I don't even quite see anything sort of standing in for that hopper, uh, the, the hopper mechanism. Yeah. But we see it uh, We see it sort of slide into the truck. Then there's a, an explosion. Then we cut to another angle. It looks like the same explosion. Um, and then as I, I think we'll find out in tomorrow's minute what they do uh what they do after that once we need to get people back into this scene. Yeah, but it's really, yeah. really well done. And, you know, what What strikes me almost as, as much as anything is the, uh, while they are clearly miniatures, the explosion doesn't have that typical miniature look to it. No, and what I'm understanding... It does a really from, nice job. At, at the, at the real trick is getting fires to work right because there's a, there's a problem with the fractalization of the smoke. And uh, Jerry Anderson, who, of course, you know, did all the film... Uh, the super marination things. Yes. You're, uh, you're, you're talking about my religion here. Be careful. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, as, as St. Jerry once put it, no, yes. uh, the, uh, most of the, the most difficult uh, miniature to do, of course, is water. And uh, second most difficult to do is fire. Fire usually looks very different in miniature than it does in, um, uh, you know, on one-to-one -one scale. So what you try to do is build the miniature as big as you can. My guess sure. is that this this miniature is probably huge. I'm I'm, I'm guessing that the truck and the the truck is probably about a foot tall, and uh, it's they're very large 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 miniatures if that's a word. Yes. Um, Jumbo the, shrimp. The, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the the fire itself is probably using a, a high uh, high performance. Uh, 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 fire starter like butane um you know like charcoal lighter that kind of thing uh because you need and then it they would add uh, other chemicals to it to provide the the right coloration uh you can also add things like iron filings iron filings uh come out lo looking like embers so i'm assuming that this is uh probably torching uh a dirty butane fuel with um iron filings mixed into the uh, into the fluid uh, to give us all those little burning embers, and of course, it's, you know, we're only seeing like ten frames of this. But your eye, your eye, kind of spots the things. And think, wait, that's not the right size. It, 
but for 10 frames it'll it'll work right it absolutely does they really did a beautiful job and of course you know running the camera at maybe five to six times normal so um uh it, it it's amazing i mean it, it really it really sells it quite well your i don't think your eye gets fooled by it that much and uh quite a dramatic ending to this uh this amazing chase scene so uh not a bad way to end the week i think this was uh <laughs> quite right. a quite a great yeah I mean, imagine it, uh, one of those things like when you were talking about the front of the Freightliner. Imagine that on a 40-foot screen coming at you. Oh, my gosh. Quite a, yeah, everybody backing up in their seats to watch this thing. So, <laughs> I think. Um, wow. Well, uh, this was a, not, not a bad first week, I think, as, as, we, uh, as we roll into next week. And we've got mu- much more to talk about with this uh, crash, but we'll, we'll bring that up more on Monday. Um, I think, this, it, is this, I, I, I don't know if I asked you this earlier in the week, Hal, but is this your favorite Hitchcock? What is your favorite Hitchcock? Oh, this would definitely be my, my favorite. Um, you know, certainly uh, Psycho is one of those ones you have to, uh, you have to acknowledge and you have to marvel at the, the mastery of it. But it's, it's never one that I would just sort of put in for fun. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, it's a rainy Saturday afternoon. I think I'll watch Psycho, <laughs> um, and I would say the same with the birds. A little too creepy with me, yeah. you know. One that that I don't hear people talk about very much, and I've only seen a couple of times, but I was really, really surprised by it when a buddy of mine turned me onto it years and years ago. Was uh, the Trouble with Harry? Oh yes, yes, yes. And with, uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry it, Mathers, no less. Yeah, exactly. And it's been ages and ages since I've since I've seen it. But I just I remember being struck by how. Um, how contemporary it it felt and you know there was certainly a a humorous touch to it and it um none of it felt uh felt dated to me it all felt so new and so so fresh in so many ways a lot of fun it was it was a great fun fun film had a, a touch of uh charles adams about it and uh just all likable characters and uh and uh yeah it is a pleasant diversion i think um this isn't this is close to my favorite film i still enjoy um uh now of course it blew out of my head uh (laughs) um uh joseph cotton uh teresa wright uh little charlie and uncle charlie uh oh wow uncle charlie's Uh, in uh uh, william demarest oh shadow shadow of a doubt shadow of a doubt 1946 uh uh yes okay i was (laughs) I can remember everything. I'm really good at everything in movies, but right. titles. Start, uh, yeah. uh, start reciting the dialogue from the first scene, and then by by 30 yeah. minutes into the picture, you'll remember the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't get. I, I don't remember my own name until I do the third <laughs> verse. Of Happy birthday to you. So, it's, uh, <laughs> dear something. Yeah. Uh, wow. But anyway, this has been a, a, a fun week and uh, another week to go. Uh, we're going to talk more about uh, about airplanes and uh, Chicago and hotels all coming up next week. So, uh, please join us there if you'd like to. If you've missed any of the previous 75 episodes and shame on you uh, but you can catch up for it uh out there on our big site alfred or not alfred hitchcock hitchcockminute.com and uh, all of our previous episodes are available there we're also available on uh, ipod apple podcast which used to be itunes but now it's apple podcast uh google play or wherever your fine podcatchers will take you uh if you'd like to talk with us talk back to us on uh social media we're always available too on facebook at the man on washington's nose or on uh, Twitter at Hitchcock Minute. Uh, we will catch up with you some more uh, as we watch this uh, poor, beautiful Stearman burning in the distance. Uh, but we'll see you here next week on the Hitchcock Minute. Goodbye, Mr. Thornhill. 
wherever you are.